And all of God's people said, thank you, Lord. And thank you, team. A story told about a man who was struggling with his weight. Like me in the past, he was addicted to uh, the gooey pastries. And the more gooey it was, the better it was. Anything sweet. Well, one day he announced to his colleagues at work that he is going to go on a diet and he's going to lose weight. And one of his weight loss strategy is to drive to the office by a different way from the way he comes because the way he normally comes, he goes by his favorite pastry store. And he did great for the first two weeks. Uh, he would go a different route. Wouldn't go by that store at all. And sure enough, he lost six pounds. But in the middle of the third week, his plans were shot to pieces. Um, one morning, by mistake, by mistake, he drives back to the same route, the old route. So he shuffles into the office, carrying this gooeyest of gooeys, of cakes or pastries, probably 2,000 calories. And uh, he says, I am eating this by the will of God. <laughs> this is the will of God for me to eat this. Well, <laughs> the colleagues were sort of surprised, you know, how did you know it's the will of God? And so he really went on explanation and explaining to them uh, how he discovered the will of God for his life to eat this thing. I want you to listen carefully because out of that silly story, there is a big lesson. <laughs> and so he said, by mistake this morning, I came the old route where I went by the pastry store, my favorite pastry store, and, and I was tempted, so I prayed, Lord, is it your will for me to stop there and get one of some of my favorite pastry food. And he said, then I, in my prayer, I said, Lord, if I go by the store and I found a parking space <laughs> right in front of that store, then I will know it is your will for me to go and get my favorite stuff. And he continued, he said, uh, and sure enough, after going around the block six times, <laughs> on the seventh time, there was a parking space. So I am eating this by the will of God. Now, I'm telling you this silly story for a very important reason, vitally important reason. In my 50 years in ministry, <clears throat> I have heard some of the most ludicrous and the most bizarre stories about how people discern the will of God. I will never forget a man who sat in my office 34 years ago. And he said to me, they said, I know it is the will of God for me to divorce my wife. I was incredulous. Now remember, 34, I was much younger then. 
and I don't react to with some wisdom that God gave me later in life. Uh, but I, I, I was patient enough to say, well, just tell me about this. How did you discover this is the will of God for you? He said, God would not have allowed me to meet Snookums, whatever the, the, the woman he was seeing at the time. I call everybody Snookums. The staff know that. <laughs> if I can't remember her name, Snookums, whatever her name was that he was seeing. And if that's God's will for me to meet her, and therefore God wants me to divorce my wife and marry her. Well, to go from the ridiculous to the sublime, I think most of us, most of us, if not all of us, at some time had a very hard time discerning the will of God in a certain area of life. I know I've been there several times, and those of you who've read the book, Trust and Obey, you know I've been there a few times. There were times when I was genuinely seeking to discern the will of God in knowing which way to turn. From moving countries <laughs> to birthing this church to some of the ministries that God privileged me to birth, each time I was totally and completely willingly want to obey the will of God for my life. Each of these serious times, uh, I wanted not to answer my own prayers. There are a lot of people who try to answer their own prayers. But all of us, I think, know when we come to a fork in the road, which college to go to, which spouse to marry, which job to take, which treatment to opt for, which uh, move we make, which ministry to get involved in, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Now, these are the things that I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about the things that we do not have. I'm repeating this. The things that we do not have clear answer from the Scripture, where there's no clear answer from the Word of God. Things that are specific to a person at a certain time in their life. Things which when we read the Bible, if we could read it from cover to cover, we still can't discern or know. But you do not know which college to go to. You read the Bible 50 times and you still can't figure out which job to take and which house to move to. All of these things I'm talking about. Unlike our friend from 34 years ago, who was actually, deliberately, intentionally going against the Word of God and the will of God and then blaming God for it. Now, I hate to tell you what I said to him at that time. Uh, you don't need to know. <laughs> there was no grace or mercy in my response, I can assure you. <laughs> no wonder I've never seen him again since. <laughs> because he was using God to sin against the clear Word of God. Please listen to me. You do not need to discern the will of God about the issues that have been settled in the Word of God. Moral issues, 
ethical issues, things that have been settled in the Word of God long ago. That is not what I'm talking about. I want to repeat this. You do not need to discern the will of God about matters and issues in life that have been settled in the Word of God long ago. I can tell you that the mind games that we play <laughs> sometimes leaves me flabbergasted. And I believe it often when we want to do the wrong thing, listen to me, when we want to do the wrong thing, we basically have three options. We have three options. We can doggedly refuse to do the wrong thing and move on. Stubbornly refuse to go against the Word of God, the clear Word of God. Or secondly, we can do the wrong thing shamelessly, which lead to choose the third thing, which we find a way to prove that this wrong thing are really right. I mean, listen, I've seen churches fall one after another by twisting the Word of God and making what is evil and what is wrong and what is sinful to be right. Now, if you've ever been there, or if you are there right now, then you have a problem, major problem, with the will of God. And it is God's will that I want to talk about this morning. Today we're going to examine in the disciples' prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as we continue to dig deeper into the blueprint of the disciples' prayer. And when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, listen to me, please, listen to me, we are asking God for a radical change in our lives. Most people don't realize that, but that's what you're doing. If you pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you are saying, God, do some radical change in my life. Now, I need to explain that because it runs contrary. It runs absolutely contrary to the whole mindset of our culture today. Not only our culture, but the church culture that has developed in many evangelical and mainline denominations. It's dominated. That culture is dominated by felt needs. Felt needs. <laughs> what others should do for us. Right? What the church should do for us. What the government should do for us. Every commercial that you see on television tells you what you need and where you can get your need met. Right? Am I right? A whole society is filled with unfulfilled needs. <laughs> and because felt needs is a bottomless pit, listen to me, it is a bottomless pit, we can never satisfy it. Never satisfy it. Husbands and wives, seen it through the years. They look at each other and say, what are you doing to meet my needs? 
and is saying, what am I doing to meet your needs? Can you see the difference? Can you see the difference? The list can go on, but I'm not going to get into it. But there's even a greater problem. Listen to me. There's a greater problem. We come to God with the same mindset and expectations that we have in our culture today, right? God, what are you doing to meet my needs? So when we're in trouble, we pray a storm. I mean, man, we pray a storm because we have needs. But that is not the pattern that our Lord Jesus Christ taught the disciples to pray. This is not the blueprint that Jesus handed over to us to pray. This is not how he taught us to pray. Look at the wordings of the disciples' prayer. We've been going through it, okay? Hallowed be what? Hallowed be what? Okay, we'll go Elizabethan English. That's fine. <laughs> it's you, right? Can you say you? God bless you. Whose kingdom come? Up in the balcony? Whose will be done? Where's the emphasis here? Where's the emphasis? You, right? Not you. You up there. Put your fingers up in the air like this, okay? Say, you, you, you. Come on, do it three times. You, you, you. You got it. It's not about me and my needs. It's you, you, you. The emphasis not on the one who's doing the praying, but the one to whom we pray. Now, beloved, please listen to me. I know, I know to some of you this is absolutely radical stuff, but listen, this is the Word of God. Don't shoot the messenger. Here's what we often forget. We really, really do, and your pastor is included. Here's what we often forget. is <laughs> that God knows our needs before we do. Can I get an amen? amen? He knows our needs before we do. And to prove this to us, to prove this to us, not every promise in the Scripture, but to prove it even in practical terms, He became man and expresses needs in order to show us that God knows our needs before we even ask them. Think about this with me, okay? Think about this with me. The God who created all of the rivers and all of the oceans and all the water, all the rain, all, all the water in the world, when he hung on that cross, he said, I thirst. The God who created all of the forests and all of the trees hung on a tree. The one who brought gushing water out of a rock. He could say to the Samaritan woman, give me a drink. 
Listen, please, you must hear me right on this one. You must hear me right. You must hear me right. If we're going to have a revival, we better get right with God. We better get right with the Word of God and not get caught up with the culture. Meeting his children's need, or needs in the plural, is very much on God's agenda. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I want to say, well, Michael said not, I shouldn't go to God with my needs. That is not what I'm saying at all. All I'm saying is this. Our God did not instruct us that whenever we pray, we start by saying, oh, Lord, solve my problem and solve them now. No. Why? Because when needs become our focus in our prayer, our needs will soon become our God. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm going against the current here. Your will be done. This does not only places the horse where it belongs in front of the cart, a lot of people putting the horse in the back of the cart, but it's in the front of the cart. But it also will establish the only grounds, the only grounds, the only grounds, the only what? Where our pressing needs can be met. No wonder Jesus said, when you seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, I'm going to meet your needs. You don't have to worry about your needs. Question, have you ever asked yourself the question, why God's will is so good for us? <laughs> if you haven't, you can write the question down and answer it to yourself this afternoon. Why is God's will so good for us? That's very important, very, very important for you to answer that. Why is this question very important? Because... To most professing Christians, to most professing Christians, I'm repeating this, to most professing Christians, doing the will of God does not sound very exciting. It's not very exciting. It sounds like, uh, do what you're told. Follow the rules. Submit. Don't do it your way, do it my way. That's why it is not very exciting to the average professing Christian. And yet, for those who love God, to those who truly faithfully walk with God on a daily basis, they will testify to you. There is nothing more fulfilling. There is nothing more joyful. There is nothing more thrilling. There is nothing more freeing than obeying the will of God. Amen. Give God glory. Now, confession time, confession time. I've been doing this with you, and I'll, I'll, I'll always, for remaining whatever days the Lord give me, I am transparent. I'm not standing here and saying, hey, look at me, because that would be absolutely the wrong place to look to. There was a period of time in my Christian life, thank God, it's in the past. But there was a time in the past, in my Christian life, this is not before Christ, but that when I was walking with Christ, 
when I genuinely, genuinely feared knowing the will of God for my life. God is my witness. Why? Because selflessly and carnally, carnality was covering me from head to toe. Because selfishly, carnality, in, in that frame of mind, I feared that he would lead me to do something I don't like or to do something I don't want to do. Yet thank God, thank God that I lived long enough to be able to stand here and testify to you, testify to you and to the world that this was a lie from Satan, that this was a deceptive concept, that this was Satan-manufactured fear, that this was totally wrong view of my God. Now, there are actually people who think, really think. I'm talking about people in the churches. There are people who actually think that God is out to get them. I promise you. I talked to some of them. They think that God wants them to be miserable, <laughs> that God is a killjoy, and yet wanting and doing and obeying the will of God is a conscious commitment that emanates from an absolute conviction, absolute conviction that God is good all the time. God is good what? All the time. And all the time. And that God does everything, everything from the point of view of knowing what's good for us. Let me repeat this. God does everything from the point of view, from His point of view, that He wants everything good for us. No wonder Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, He said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. They'll call Jesus Lord. They will not enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Listen, people can claim to be Christians until they are blue in the face. But if they are not serious about living in obedience to the will of God, as it is revealed in the Word of God, they have not made it to first base. By now, probably some of you are asking, oh, Michael, how do I obey or even enjoy doing the will of God? In other words, how can I pray and mean it? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You have to begin... Are you listening? Say amen. amen. You have to begin by absolutely trusting 
that God has your best interest at heart. Did you get that? You have to begin. You have to begin by absolutely, absolutely believing that God has your best interest at heart. That God is watching out for your good. Now, not your good as you see it, but your good as He sees it. Why? Because you can only see today. You can only see what is going on right now. You cannot see what's around the corner. You cannot see what's in your blonde alley. Uh, He sees what you cannot see. He sees all of the future. And what you think something might think that something is good for you now could be bringing you sheer misery down the road. What you might be infatuated with now could bring you a lifetime of pain down the road. What you might have seen and you set your heart on right now can have a dreadful consequences down the road that is of His love that He protects you. Can I get an amen? Because He can seize what you cannot see, what I cannot see. Beloved, listen to me, listen to me. Because I know I've prayed with th- for things so earnestly 55 years ago, and I'm living for 55 years to thank God every day He didn't answer. Foolishly, I prayed for things. And I thought God doesn't love me because He didn't give me that. Well, how foolish that I can look back now. Probably I would have been dead if He answered that prayer. Beloved, when you comprehend that God totally loves you, that God absolutely wants the best for you, that God wants to bless you and use you, and that He sees what you cannot see, therefore you lift up your hands and say, because of all of that, I want your will, not mine, but I want your will, your perfect will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Here's one thing you need to know about heaven, okay? There's one thing you must know about heaven. There is no misery in heaven. Did you know that? (laughs) There is no hardship in heaven. There is no sorrow in heaven. There is no pain in heaven. Only contentment and joy and perfect peace. So when you delight yourself in discerning, doing, and obeying the will of God, He brings heaven to your heart. He brings heaven to earth. Now I come back to the original question. How can I discern the will of God regarding personal decision? Again, these are not the things that are settled in the Word of God. I'm talking about a job or college or, or, or treatment or whatever. 
First and foremost, listen to me. First and foremost, when you're confronted with a moral choice, are you listening? When you're confronted with a moral choice, a resolved obedience to the Word of God is not negotiable. But when facing a choice about two things that are equal in value, or, yeah, like I said, school or house or job, or, you know, this actually I can help you with, okay? No one can help you if you want to go against the Word of God. But with these issues, I can help you. And I'm going to help you from 58 years of walking with the Lord and learning, learn from my failure, learn from my experience. And I have a six-point sermon. I haven't got the sermon yet. I love to see the faces. It's a <laughs> sort of a panic. When you're facing two choices, either one is good. They're as good as each other. When you're facing two options, equally worthy of your consideration, there are six things that I want you, if you have a pen, write them down or type them in your iPhone or whatever. First of all, the first thing, Check the Word of God. Always, always measure everything with the Word of God. Measure it. Measure it. Ask yourself, is this consistent with the Scripture? Listen, the Word of God is your only measuring stick. If you are not confident enough to do that, find yourself a godly, biblically knowledgeable believer. If it is contrary to the Word of God, Dump it. Second, check with your past experience. Check with your past experience. Ask yourself the question. I've done that actually this week. Richard and I were talking about a, an important issue, and I said, let me reflect upon some experience very similar to this one. If you have faced similar situation or situation just like it, Ask yourself, what did God show me then? Listen to me, beloved. Our God is a consistent God. If you got it wrong last time, don't do it again. Don't keep repeating it. Learn from your past. Thirdly, seek the advice of a godly counsel. Don't just Go to someone whom you know going to agree with you. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I have some people who actually have a call of God on their life never to agree with me. <laughs> That's who I go to. 
A godly counsel will show you the different possibilities and how to think through these crucial decisions. Four, don't fudge the issue. What do I mean by that? Don't fudge the issue. Sometimes an idea seems exciting or compelling, and you're tempted to stay with it, and, 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 and no matter what, you're going to hang on to that. This is nearly always a mistake. You've got to be flexible. You've got to be open to the Lord. Have everything with open hands like this. So don't get carried away, especially if the Holy Spirit has placed a check on your spirit. Number five, be patient. I'm preaching to myself now. (laughs) Because our generation's greatest weakness is wanting everything instantly. We want everything immediately, preferably yesterday. But remember this. Remember this. Delay does not always mean denial. Are you with me? Delay does not always mean denial. In fact, taking time gives you perspective. Now, I can tell you, as God my witness, and I already alluded to that time, when I pleaded with God, and I want this because if I don't get it by a certain time, it's lost forever. Thank God it was lost forever. (laughs) These things, thankfully, that I prayed for, did not take place. Avoid avoid hasty decisions when you are making long-term plans. Finally, number six. I don't know how many times when I went to the Lord on all fours <laughs> and I said to him, I said, Lord, I am not the brightest, I'm not the most intelligent, I'm not even spiritual enough to make this decision. Would you please, would you please shut all the doors? And open just the one that is perfectly aligned with your will for my life. And beloved, I want to tell you, this is not a cop-out. This is not a cop-out. And every time, graciously, God answered that prayer. Sometimes the situation is so complex to deal with it simply. My comfort, a text I always use, One of my my favorite go-to texts is that God, and I tell it to you in the King James Version, protecteth. (laughs) God protecteth the simple. And I tell you, I'm the simplest guy you'll ever meet. If you need the Lord to make things absolutely clear that you're asking for, then wait. One more thing, one more thing. The Apostle Paul said one more thing several times. So one more thing. Now, there are some people, and you probably have come across them. I have um, 
In fact, I remember when a neighbor in California was, was like that. But there's some people so hung up on the Word of God that they don't want to wake up in the morning until they discern it's the will of God for them to get up. I'm going to tell you what the will of God is. Get up early and pray. I mean, really, I am telling you, I have, I remember somebody in California who lived nearby. I mean, they want to know, God, which shoes I should buy? What breakfast cereal I should eat? Come on now. That trivializing the will of God. It's nonsense. God gave us decision-making abilities for all these mundane things in life. And that is why I am focused on the crucial decisions, the important decision in life. If your cry to the Lord daily is like mine, it will be something like this. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let me tell you something you don't need to go to seminary to know, that God honors willing obedience. Did you get that? Lord, you know, this is my daily cry. I long to be at the very center of your will. In every thought and word and action, I long for it to be in your perfect will. In the times I'm not able to discern your will. Give me the patience to wait. Help me today not to run ahead of you or lag behind you, but be at the very center of your will. And Father, once I discern your will, give me the courage to joyfully embrace your will and to willingly obey it. And Father, just as you will perfectly executed in heaven, let it be executed on the earth. Specifically, your will be done for my life, my church, my family, my colleagues, and all those who confess your name. You know, the greatest joy for me is that when I start there, God answer prayers. Will you pray with me? Lord, I know deep down in my heart that these were probably very hard things for some of your children to hear because this is one of the times when your word runs absolute contrary to everything around us, including church culture. But Father, you destined us to reign and rule with you in heaven. <laughs> you destined us to reign and rule the universe with Jesus. You destined us to inherit what Jesus inherited. And therefore, we pray that you will bring this measure of discipline in our lives. 
to seek your will above all else. And all of God's people said amen. Would you stand up and sing with us? Thank you.